Oh, hello there. Welcome to Poet Waffle episode eight, where me, Daniel Cockrell, invites a poet round my house for a chat. And during that chat, we explore the visceral space between fact and fiction, which I believe is more of a feeling where poets use their emotions to navigate the world and hopefully reveal certain truths that are ignored by those other fields. And it gives me great pleasure to welcome into my shed a poet, spoken word artist, educator, activist, a host of Find the Right Words in Leicester. Um, it's Jess Green. Hello. Hello there, Jess. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. How are you? Yeah, very well. Um, we were both performing last night, wasn't we? We were, yeah. Yeah. How was that for you? It was all right. It was good. It was yeah. a gig in West London. I don't know very much about London, but yeah. it felt different to where the poetry gigs normally are. I'm an East London boy, so I stay well away from West London, really. It was very I'd nice. Like to go. Yeah, it was on brilliant. the river. The Boomerang. Nice we should mention the Boomerang boys and girls. Well done them. Um, so those that list of titles, poet, spoken word, artist, are they something you recognise? Would you call yourself? Because I'm now on episode eight of Poet Waffle. Yeah. And I've yet to find, so the first seven, all the other poets have said, well, we're not really a poet and we don't feel comfortable with the word spoken word artist. Yeah. So I'm not doing very well. I don't know. I think it's, it's, how, it's, often, it's often how other people want to describe you, isn't it? Like, I, like if like, the taxi driver asks you what your job is, I will never be like, I'm a spoken word artist. Right. I'll be like, I'm a writer. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then if another, like, creative artsy person says, what field do you work in? Then I might be like, oh, you know, like poetry, performance poetry, spoken word. Um, and I, it's often about, oh, I don't know, maybe it sounds a bit patronising, but trying to give people words that they already know so that, yeah. because kind of, you know, even within poetry, it, it, that means lots and lots of different things to different people. Yeah. So it's about often just trying to give people something that they recognise. Because often when people are like, what do you do for a living? They're just having a chat with you. Yeah, no, they don't true. really want to spend 10 minutes exploring what you actually do for a living. Yeah. You're, and also you're probably nicer than me or Martin. <laughs> we'll be like, yeah, we, we can't be bothered to explain. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. And often... Um, Often I won't even say that I'm a poet. I mean, often I'll lie. Often I'll say I'm an English teacher. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, do you? Yeah. Wow, that's All good. the time. Amazing. Just to uh, avoid the question. Because I hate the question and I hate explaining it. And I hate, often people are like, oh, so what do you write about? And I don't want it. And then I have to be like, politics. And I don't want to go down <laughs> that rabbit hole. What do, you, what do you write on the census when it comes around for your job? I don't know. I don't think I've ever done a census. You must have. Oh, maybe you haven't. I maybe your mum and dad have, have filled yours yeah, in. Yeah, I think my mum and dad have filled it in. Uh, so what, uh, what, or what would it be on a passport when you have to... If um, someone says what, you, so what your when, job is. Oh, I had to write something on my marriage certificate. Oh, there you go. Um, I wrote writer. There you go. Yeah, because yeah. I also don't want my um, like relatives in 100 years <laughs> to just think I was really poncy, you know. I think, I think I've written poet. Great. A lot of I admire that a lot. No, they'll be like, <laughs> who is this guy? Who is this unsuccessful guy? Um, 
So you're touring your show. Yeah. What's it called? Give us because I know what it's called, but I always get the words mixed up it's in the wrong order. Called a self help guide to being in love with Jeremy Corbyn. And why that? Why? Why? What was? What made you think this is a good idea for a show, or not? What or, made me yeah. think that was a good idea for a title? I don't know if it's a title that's aged well. Um, because um, so, Burning Eye Books got in touch with me whenever it was two thousand and seventeen, and said do you want to do another collection? And I looked at what I've been writing for the past two or three years, and yeah. it was entirely about the Labour Party. Right. Um, and I think that politics, so much has happened in politics in the past five, six years. You know, you think back to a time when people thought politics was boring. Nobody thinks politics is boring anymore. And like, everybody has an opinion. Even if that they want Brexit to just be done and dusted, they have strong feelings about that. Um, and at the time, it was kind of at the height of Corbyn mania. Yeah. And I had a lot of conversations with people where I was like, will I regret this title? I was like, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it is also, I mean, the, the, the collection and the shows, the shows based on the collection, is, it's not, an, it's not like an hour or a full book of just, I love Jeremy Corbyn. It is looking at the fact that um, we shouldn't, it's not even at the height of Corbyn mania I felt that it wasn't good for us to have like a political leader that we thought was flawless and it kind of examines that um so I think you can kind of take from the title what you will yeah yeah and it's certainly a title that gets audiences in I mean I have had audiences that have been entirely people that hate Jeremy Corbyn oh, and wow. they've just come because they out of morbid curiosity intrigued by what it, what mm. it is yeah well, you know we were, we were on the way here I, I just picked you up from the station but we were talking about um, audience reaction and <clears throat> so Bang said they've done our show last night we were at the National Poetry Library which for us is a quite a unusual place to do our show because it's very quiet and our show's very loud um, and there were some people in there just sitting there and I was watching their faces and I was thinking oh my god they hate this this guy is not injured but he after the show he came and bought the books he was chatting to all the artists, saying how much he loved it. Mm. So you just can't tell what people are actually thinking when they're going through the show, and you shouldn't try and second-guess it. What's the audience reaction to what's been happening in your show? It's it's a funny... I mean, I'm, I'm so interested in the relationship between audiences and performers, and I think that a lot of audiences come into the show very nervous about what they're going to have an hour of yeah. and like and I think a lot of audiences come to the show assuming that I'm going to be like the mad left just like loving Jeremy Corbyn for an hour and generally people leave nobody is left being like you're well, at least they haven't said this to my face no one's been like you're a total idiot um you know I kind of I wait I compare the response I get in the shows to what I get online so I have had <laughs> so much trolling online and you know putting a show out there with a title yeah, like yeah, that yeah. maybe that's to be expected but even people that have come who are politically opposed to me um so we've had a we had a couple of tories in to see the show a few weeks ago and they left saying to me we agree with you about the issues in the country we just disagree about the way to solve them yeah yeah and that's really interesting so nobody's been like 
nobody's heckled. I've been touring the show, well, I've been performing the show since July and I've had no heckling. That's not true. I did it in Wolverhampton and I had one guy who heckled me and then immediately apologised. Oh, really? So, oh, God, they're very polite. So, yeah. And you've said that out loud now, like, so oh, now they're probably going to be heckling. From yeah, the, uh... yeah. But it's also, I mean, because I thought, and I thought a lot about that and it's, it's kind of not really a show where it's possible. I don't, I don't think it is a show where it's possible to heckle. It's a show that I think is very aware of um, Jeremy Corbyn's flaws yeah. and the flaws of the left yeah. and the flaws of a lot of people's behaviour on the left. Yeah. Um, and pretty good at though, you know, I can't imagine myself, if there was a show called, uh, you know... A I love Margaret Thatcher. Or, yeah, or, or <laughs> Theresa, you know... Let's all uh, party with Theresa May. Yeah. I don't think I'm going to that show. So, Do you not? No, definitely not. I'd be like, I can't. Just the mention of the the name would just make me go. I, I, I just would wanna... go. I'd be really so, yeah. interested. And so you're probably similar to those Tory uh, people that came in yeah. to say, because they were probably intrigued and wanted mm. to know what was going on. So yeah. you've probably got, a, you know, whereas I'd definitely be like, I am steering well, clear. Whereas I'd go to your show because I'm, yeah. You know, I, I'm a socialist and my heart's on the left, so... Yeah, but I think it's the same as, like, when Farage or, like, um, I don't know, or Katie Hopkins is yeah. on Question Time. Yeah. I will definitely watch it. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think there's yeah. a real thing about, like... Obviously, we need to recognise that those people are dangerous and they're putting out dangerous rhetorics. And I think there's also um, an importance of, like, knowing what your enemy's saying. But there's also... I think we quite like being riled up. I think we quite like. Oh, you're being different angry. to me. I'm, I, I, it makes me depressed when I see those people. Oh, does I'm it really? I'm just like not depressing. Like, but the, like I look at, it and I go, oh, really? These people? Do they really yeah. think that? I can't. I can't believe they yeah. actually think it. I think they're getting paid, or they've. I think yeah. they've got. A, but I don't believe they really think those. Or if they do, yeah. it's really yeah, horrible. Yeah. I don't. It? I don't think that. Mm, yeah, I don't think Katie Hopkins really spouts a lot of... I can't that... even believe we were mentioning Katie Hom Hopkins know, on my I podcast, know. Jess. Do you know <laughs> that Katie Hopkins' husband works for a sick donkey sanctuary? <laughs> it's true. Well, there you go. Madness, you know. yeah. But she is a bit of a sick donkey herself. Maybe. <laughs> so maybe that's what it is. He's probably getting all the money for her. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's. I suppose that's what... Where you differ from it. I probably would never... Uh, with my own writing, try to you know get involved in those sort of things because mm. I, I I probably don't want the the argument because mm -hmm. I probably know in my heart what I think it should be, mm -hmm. and my stubbornness I won't be able to. No one's going to be able to. I have to change my own mind. Yeah. Other people trying to change my mind is never going to happen. So I have to come to the conclusion myself of like, oh, this is the right thing to do. Yeah. Um. So probably it's probably inside of me anyway. Yeah. Um, if so, if people are arguing a point to me, and I'm not ready to change, mm -hmm. I'm never going to move. I'm I'm sort of a no. But I quite like to hear what arguments they're putting out there. Right. So that because yeah, yeah. I because I quite like having those arguments, and I like arguing yeah. in the pub and on Twitter. Are and... you arguing? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> you know Twitter but arguments the, are really productive. I suppose you're the gen. You know, you're probably twenty years younger than me, so you've got the generation. Uh, the social media and the way the world works is is kind of made for that, you know. So you're probably thriving yeah. 
in, in that sense. Whereas I've come to it all late and I'm like, Twitter, I, I want to throw that away. <laughs> it's just all the things that I just want to smash my computer up, yeah. throw it in the sea. Yeah. I mean, I love and hate Twitter for political discourse. I think that Twitter has done a lot for engaging people in politics um, and allowing, you know, like young people to feel like they have more of a voice when, when they're not allowed to vote. But at the same time, I think Twitter is the death of nuance. And yeah. I think that Twitter has a huge part to play in the fact that we now have these, these extreme politics. Um, you know, if you can get something across in a tweet, yeah. then that's kind of all that matters. Yeah, yeah. And we don't need nuance anymore. And yeah. that, I find that very frustrating. Because I remember the early days of social media, I'd always post, um, you know, uh, mischievous things. <laughs> that were but that were untrue just to see reactions because it was really fun yeah. and I don't do that anymore because it because people now take it very seriously that if you write something that is slightly mischievous mm -hmm. people won't see it as they'll just hate you for it mm -hmm. rather than oh it was just a joke mm -hmm. what I was do I was trying I was trying to get that reaction yeah. because I would do the same thing around a pub table for yeah. example just to see but because it's instant and you can and I can go, I'm, 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 you know, I don't believe that. Yeah. Uh, then, but you can't do that on Twitter anymore. Well, you, no. you probably can, but I, I, I never do it anymore. Yeah. But my, my early days of Facebook and Twitter, I was, I was always on there going, I'm just going to type this ridiculous thing and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think the other thing about Twitter, well, any social media, is like the constant fear that you are, because nuance is dead, is the constant fear that you're going to by accidentally say something horrendously oh, yeah. offensive yeah. that actually isn't in any way a reflection of what you think, but you've just said something like ignorant yeah, just yeah. because you're like white or middle class or you'd said something really ignorant, which is actually incredibly offensive. Like if you've read, um, so you've been publicly shamed by John Ronson after right. I read yeah, that book, yeah. I, um, there's that story in there of the woman who, Oh, got on a plane and tweeted, I'm going to Africa, I hope I don't catch AIDS, I oh, won't because I'm white, lol. And I think she thought it was like a kind of clever satire of like um, the way that society, of like white privilege. Right. She got on the plane, got off the plane eight hours later and oh, there no. was like a mob waiting she at won the, the lottery. airport oh, no. that were going to like rip her to bits and like the whole world hated her and I think she had to like change her name and everything and ugh, since then just he's great isn't he, he the way he explores yeah uh, yeah um, the thread of the story mm. I've seen him on stage do stuff and I've read the psychopath test and so yeah he's interesting yeah that's uh, the only one of his books I've read is the yeah. so you've been publicly shamed and I think it gave me so much anxiety and it's still with me that yeah. I'm having to build up to well, I, books the amount of uh, things I start to write, I've had a beer. I start and, I, and then oh, I and then I delete yeah, them because yeah. yeah. I start to I go, I don't know. Yeah. get rid of that. You know, I make I now ask my husband for his opinion, <laughs> particularly if I've had a glass of wine, particularly if I'm replying to trolls. Right, yeah, um, yeah. I don't worry about being offensive to trolls, but I worry about seeming quite. So you pathetic. engage with them very occasionally. Yeah. See, I just ignore every like. So when we've had quite horrendous emails mm. to about the bang show mm. wow, I just, really? I just, I just ignore yeah I mean it's been going a long time so we've had a few okay you know what do people say like it's... we've had we've had death threats 
what? Why? Just, uh, What's d- offensive? Um, probably the price of the tickets. Okay. <laughs> you know. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, what can we do? It, yeah. I mean, if people know the truth of it, they, they will understand why the tickets are that price. But, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I can understand it's a lot of money, and especially when we travel around and those the price of those tickets are still there, and we're like, okay, uh, yeah, it can be a problem. So, but there's other stuff. There's, I don't know, think I'd send a death threat over no, a pound ticket. I think, <laughs> I, think uh, I think people who are doing that aren't aren't very well, are they? You know, I'm, no. I I never even if I've had the worst experience ever, it takes me a lot to write a complaint letter to go. I yeah. just go. I'm never going back there. You know. Yeah. You know, even in a restaurant and it's a bad service, I'd be like, oh, you know, this is terrible. Let's pay. Let's go. I, I won't come back. You know, that's yeah. my, I wouldn't send a letter to the manager. Do Although you, my wife's side of the family do. They do you do, do like TripAdvisor? Will you give me someone like a one-star review? No. Do I don't, not? even on, I, so when we have to get Ubers for the show, I, I don't even rate people. Do you not? That puts your rating down. I don't care. Oh. Have you not seen Black Mirror? <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, yeah. I don't care. Like, I, I just say, I, what am I rating? I don't want to rate this person. No, it, it was I, all fine. Yeah. My thank you at the ends, I think, is good enough. Yeah. And we had a, so I had a lo- I had an Uber driver yesterday, and he he lives local, and his kids ended up he was going to his kids were going to the same school as my kids, and he was talking about uh he's he'd just been on strike that day, and he was talking about his workers' rights. It was a, it was an hour long trip. It's fantastic. It was a really nice Uber trip, and got a real insight to how difficult it is for him because they don't get any extra you know he has to go into the congestion charge mm. and if he only goes once he has to pay, you know he it's not worth his yeah him paying it because he's you know he'd rather not go in the congestion charge and yeah. all, all those things and it, it the company works well just don't care you know and he's yeah. having to work so hard to try and make make it work yeah that he's not the you know he's just trying to make a living yeah. For his family. And he lives in, you know, a two-bedroom flat in London yeah. with his family. It's really hard. You uh, give him two stars. <laughs> I didn't give him any stars. I don't know. I was like, he was, you know, I don't know. I just, I just swipe whatever way to say, yeah. no, dismiss. Let's get on, let's get on let's with the work. Let's get on with our lives, yeah. I do, yeah, I can't engage in any of that stuff. I mean, we, what about, I haven't even asked you, how do you get started in, in this world of spoken word or poetry? And, you know, what made you think, oh, that's a good idea? Because it, now I'm in my mid forties, I probably think now that was a terrible idea to yeah. come down this road. I've got a poem about this in my show, which is about like, yeah, the fact that I was, I don't know, I was eighteen. I went and did a creative writing degree in Liverpool because I couldn't because I couldn't do anything else because okay. I thought I wanted to be an actor and I started in a drama degree and discovered that I wasn't kooky or quirky and it, I found all that quite stressful. So the only other thing I could do was write, so I did a creative writing degree. And I just like fell in love with the idea of being like this impoverished artist and like <laughs> living in a garret and listening to Leonard Cohen and smoking and having a cat. And then, so that's what I was gonna do. And like, and I never thought about how I was gonna pay the bills or know, yeah. anything. And then I went and I think my mum was like, like, why don't you have a go at getting some work experience in, in like a real job? So I went and did um, some work experience in a couple of different newspapers. And like, just having to go to work from nine to five every day. I did that for about three days and I went and met some friends <laughs> in the pub afterwards. And I was like, is this life? 
this is awful. I didn't, I didn't know this is what life was. And I think at that point, I was like, I never want to have a job where I have to work nine to five. And actually, it's ridiculous because now I do like 12 to 14 hour days. I know, yeah. Um, yeah. And I enjoy it and everything. But I am at the point where I'm, you know, I've just turned 30 and I'm like, oh, it's hard work making a living, isn't it? You know, yeah. it's hard work paying the mortgage. Each I month. think it gets harder. I think that's the strange thing. That you think, oh, I'll come through the other side of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, I think it's the it's the constant, oh, that's run out now. I've got to go for the next. Yeah. That's run out now because nothing's yeah. forever in in this. So even if you have good educational work, it always ends at some. Yeah. You know the funding stops. Yeah. It's all like probably always about funding, and it stops. So you have to try and navigate a way of, oh, how do I get that amount of money back somewhere yeah. else, and. Also, the older you get, the more stuck, you know, I do, this is just for me, I get more stubborn of, mm-hmm. I just don't want, oh, because your life, you learn that, oh, that is a bad idea. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. when people come to you with a bad idea, mm-hmm. you, and it might be good money, you just think, well, actually, that is going to be excruciating. I'm going to really yeah. hate it. Yeah. And you have to weigh up, do I take that money and go through this process? Yeah. Or do I tell, go from the start, I just don't want to do that. I and focus on the things that you do want to do. So yeah. I get more, de- you know, I'm definitely in that place now. Of, like, oh, What do I want to do? I want to do this, and this is how I've got to make money. Yeah. And it, you do start to make money more that way, yeah. rather than taking all the all the stuff that comes your way. Yeah. You're, just, you're, you're not focused. But you can certainly earn a lot more money by taking everything. By saying yes to everything, yeah. But you'll get a burnout, I think, when you do that. And just... And Oh, and just, you know, be in five schools in five days that where the kids hate you and they're telling you to fuck off. And yeah, absolutely. When I first started, I would do, I presented myself as being doing, being able to do everything for everyone. Yeah. So I used to go into secondary schools and run these like no pens days that were like cool, interactive performance poetry, but nobody picks up a pen. And they were horrendous. And like, <laughs> because that's impossible. It's an impossible thing to do. And like, the kids thought it was a total dos. The teachers just were glad of a day off to be able to do some marking. Right, yeah, yeah. I like was really inexperienced in just starting out, so I was charging barely anything for it. Nobody was getting anything out of it. I hate it. Oh yeah. But that's all I was doing when I first started. Yeah. And I had an email sheet a couple of weeks ago from someone being like, "Could you come back and do a no pens day?" And I was like, "No, absolutely no. not. No to no pens day." Yeah, yeah. And um, when I was working in education, it was really, I had I was very lucky actually because I worked on some amazing projects and it got to the point where you know we were doing two or three months in schools and there was a real legacy being left behind. Uh, but then when all that funding went, I started working in back to one days mm-hmm. again, and I couldn't do it. I was just like I I couldn't get my mind to go. Oh, just a one day workshop. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to leave it all behind, really, because it it became too hard. I, yeah. I, you know, I, I was like, I can't do this because I was I got used to doing bespoke projects for for schools mm. to work on what the those actual students needed, mm-hmm. and it was really great. Yeah. Uh, but then the work, the money, and the work to, to be able to do that just it became too much, and my mental health suffered mm-hmm. because of it. So I was, it was like, well, just let that go. And I don't think I could. I could probably run a very good workshop, but mm-hmm. like in my core, I can feel it in me. It's just, it's almost saying, "Don't do that." You know, I feel I've got like the the fear. Mm-hmm. You know, probably the with now and I fear in yeah, there. Yeah, like, yeah. How, how, you know, how can we do that? But listen, we are 
more than two thirds of the way through. <laughs> and we like, this is how it goes. So um, it is now time for that part of the show where we ask the big question. <laughs> So Jess, the big question that you have uh, gone for is, what is behind charity and acts of kindness? Yeah. So I'm really interested in this question. I've been thinking about this for ages. Um, so I, um, a few years ago, um, started, in fact, when the Tories got um, elected, the second time, whenever that was, um, I started volunteering in a food bank that was just setting up. And um, it was a church food bank. Um, I didn't go to church, I'm not religious. Uh, but I felt like I wanted to do something in response to having another five years of Tory government. And I started working in this food bank. And um, so the, the way the food bank was run is that they had a system where people weren't allowed to... Um, come in more than three times to get food. Um, a week? At all. At all? At all. Okay. And this is a nationally run charity, and it's their rule they couldn't come more than three times. Because by three times, you have to sort yourself out, which is bonkers when you think that, like, universal credit, there's a six-week waiting list. And, so, and, what, and what... So when you can only go three times, what can you get in one visit? In one can visit... Can you get a whole week's shop? No, uh, one visit gives you three days worth of food for however big your family is. Oh my word. It's I didn't know this. Madness. It's madness. Um, and to get one of these vouchers, you have to be referred through like a proper, like your GP or social services. You can't just turn up. Right. Um, and the people that I started, that I was volunteering with, started, um, so if somebody, occasionally they would make exceptions if somebody came in a fourth or fifth or sixth time. But that then meant that it became their decision about whether somebody got food or not. Right. And they would begin to say things like, well, they've got a nice car. Or some of the worst things I heard were, well, their clothes are quite nice. They're not very smelly. Oh, God. And it then became about, like, the deserving and the undeserving poor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it really became, like, a real sense of, like, us and them. Yeah. And that so quickly then became, people were quite, the people that were volunteering became quite mocking of people that were coming in. And bitter, maybe, or... A... Bitter, yeah, 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 yeah. And, like, everybody who was in the volunteering in the food bank was white British and um, were quite culturally ignorant of, uh, like, halal food or... Um, or but even things like somebody would come in and say oh you know like I need a box of food um but I've got celiac disease and a mm. peanut allergy mm. and there would be jokes made about putting in a bag of peanuts because well it's really middle class to have an allergy isn't it yeah, um yeah, yeah. and it got to the point where it just became so um us and them horrible remarks made about service users and I complained to the people running the food bank and they said we'll speak to them and what they what that meant is that they just said to them don't make those comments around Jess she's quite oversensitive because they're volunteering as well though are they yeah. or are they getting paid by the charity um no I think most people there bar maybe one were all volunteers yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but it made me really it's it I <clears throat> it's made me really think about 
about why people do charitable acts. What what were they getting from that? And mm. I think for a lot of those people, it was a real sense of, of power. Really? Right. A real sense of, I get to make the decisions about who gets food. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it was wow. horrible. And I ended up, ha- and that meant that I had, I ended up leaving because it was just such a horrible environment. And yeah. I just thought, actually, I want to, I don't know, try and make a difference elsewhere in some other way because um, that just felt so toxic. Well, society, you know, I always get a sense how society makes it so easy for us to turn on each other mm-hmm. like dogs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In a, and it happens in all walks. So instead of the blue collar workers supporting each other, mm-hmm. they will start saying, oh, such and such is off with stress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And instead of it being like, oh, it, oh my God, he, they're off with stress. There must be something wrong. Yeah. Uh, with our environment, yeah, they will be like, now I've got to pick up the what mm-hmm. that person's not doing anymore. So that instead of blaming the 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 structure of where they are mm-hmm. and the the people above who are making the rules, they will will start to blame each other. And yeah. it happens in and the NHS is a, my wife works in the NHS. Mm. That's a classic example of people picking up everyone else's pieces. The people at the top saying, oh, it's working, it's running. Yeah. And it's not because, you know, you can't take holiday because there's not enough staff or, you mm-hmm. uh, you know, you, you can't uh, phone in sick because you know that you're going to let down your co-workers. And it shouldn't be like that. It should be, you should be able to work to the best of your ability and be well. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's a strange one because people start to individually start to blame themselves for things or they start to try and when they're not coping mm-hmm. they start to try and reach out for stuff of well they're doing that you know yeah. so it is that thing they've got a nice car how can they why do they deserve the food i yeah, didn't know yeah, any yeah. of that stuff that they can only come in free time and i, I think i thought it was a free resource for people to go i've got no food and you can have as much as you want as long as there's stuff on the shelves mm-hmm. And I think some food banks work like that. And some food banks work like you just turn up with 50p and you get um, as much as can fill in the box. But, um, yeah, there a couple of these kind of big national charities when it, you get three lots of food and by that point you've just sorted yourself out. Wow. Never knew that. I had a... Um, uh, one of my acts of kindness was... Uh, I, when bangs next to the Soho Theatre and there's a homeless guy there and we just started chatting and he wasn't begging for money, he was just having a chat with mm. me. And uh, as I was, it might have been the week you were there because we usually get money out to pay the axe yeah. from the cash point. And I just gave this guy, he was telling me a story about how his tent had been slashed and he had nowhere to, you know, he was getting mm. wet at night. So uh, I just gave him a tenner to say, oh, if you need the hostel tonight, mm. out, of the, out of the bang kitty. Um, and um, when I was dropping my kids off at school the next day, and I and I and I was walking home, on the floor in front of me was a ten pound note, as if it had been returned to me magically within. Two, I was like, and I looked around. There was no one. There was mm-hmm. no one around. And I was like, it was just there, as if there to say they, it wasn't even hidden. Yeah. I didn't even have to look for it. It was just there, and, the, and it was just like, oh, there's that ten pound back. Yeah. That uh, that you gave out, which was very, you know. I think homelessness is kind of. It's an interesting, wasn't it? Because the the huge rise in homelessness that we've seen, it is. I mean, I I live in Leicester, and I you know there's a there are homeless people everywhere you look, 
and you cannot give to every homeless person. And, you know, it makes you ask questions like, is it kinder to give to to give a homeless person the change you've got in your pocket or is it kinder to give 20 quid a month to a homeless charity mm, yeah yeah um and because you've bought the big issue and you've been kind to that person but then you couldn't give money to you know and i think and it's about where where do you put your energy yeah because do you put your do you put your energy into just giving two quid here and there to to people to to the odd homeless person you see around on the street, or do you put your energy into um, lobbying your city council to do more to tackle homelessness, or your government, or yeah? Um, and I think it with society as it is at the moment, with things just seeming like they're getting worse and worse, and the divide between rich and poor getting ever larger. I think a lot about these questions and about, you know, what really makes a difference. And the problem is big, but it's also what we, I suppose what we can say is, you know, doing just your little bit is, is good enough. Yeah, absolutely. And if everyone does a little bit, Mm -hmm. it creates one big bit to answer, you know, to get past this very big, you know, problem. We've got to leave it there. It's the end. No, we have done more than enough on our podcast. So uh, thank you, everyone, uh, for listening. Hello, Kirk and Ness, as always. Uh, you've been listening to Jess Green. Hello. And goodbye. And goodbye. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you all again next time uh, for Poet Waffle. Thank you. Bye. Poet Waffle was written and presented by Daniel Cockrell. Original concept by Jack White. Music and audio production by Julian Ward. Artwork by Damien Wayhill. And technical support from Laurie Eaves. Thank <laughs> you.